Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Pastor Carl McLaughlin from Calvary Pentecostal Church in Euless, Texas. We're located in Dallas-Fort Worth, where 8 million call DFW home. Whether you're tuning in to Sunday or Wednesday's message, we pray that you will find words of encouragement. It is our mission to provide a positive and encouraging voice in the midst of uncertainty. I pray that you will be blessed by today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. We are so happy you've joined us today. This Wednesday, we heard from Pastor McLaughlin as he taught over the principle of the empty chair. We will find whatever we are looking for. Are you looking for unity and potential? Or do you continue to chew on the dead issues around you? This episode provides great instruction for internal growth that we hope you find encouraging. I want to turn your attention to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 through 11. I want you to think deeply. I want you to think deeply as I'm reading these words, and I want you to look at each word. I want you to consider who you are in the church, how you conduct yourself in the church, how other people perceive you as conducting yourself in the church, and what kind of impact you're making on other people in the church. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you're not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. But I trust that you shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that you do no evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that you should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection. Therefore, I write these things, being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness, according to the power which the Lord has given to me to edification and not destruction. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, that the God of love and peace shall be with you. So I'm going to read that one more time so that we can really focus and there are no distractions. <clears throat> Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove yourselves. Know you not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you except you be reprobates. But I trust that you shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that you do no evil, 
Not that we should appear approved, but that you should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and you are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection or your spiritual maturity. Therefore I write these things, being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness, according to the power which the Lord has given to me to edification, but not to destruction. Finally, brethren, farewell. And then in his farewell salutation, he said, be perfect. Be, whatever you do at the end of the day, be spiritually mature. Be of good comfort. Don't be divided in your mind with the body of Christ, but be of one mind. And whatever you do, just live in peace with one another. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. So my subject tonight, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be teaching as a pastor tonight. And my subject tonight is the principle of the empty chair. The principle of the empty chair. Can we pray together before you're seated? Lord, we love you so much. And we come to this Wednesday night to examine ourselves. According to your word and according to the admonition of the Apostle Paul. We understand that this was not relegated to just the church in Corinth in first century apostolic living, but it is also applicable to Calvary Pentecostal Church in 21st century living. And so we come to you, Lord, knowing that the word of the Lord is alive. It's quick and it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, as a discerner of the thought and the intent of the heart. And all things are open and naked before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And so, Lord, as an open book and your scrutinizing eye that would look deeply into our soul, our spirit, our thought processes, our behaviors, everything that we are, I pray, God, that we would truly examine ourselves to see if we're even in the faith and that we would prove ourselves or that we would demonstrate by virtue of Christian living that we are in the faith. I ask you, God of heaven, to please lead us and direct us today in Jesus' name. And everyone said in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. The raven in the flood never returned to the ark because its nature and its appetite were attracted to dead things floating on top of the water. The purpose of Noah releasing the raven was to see to see if the waters receded and to examine the landscape and if there was hope in the landscape. We learn from the raven that we normally find what we're looking for in our world. We recognize that when the raven was released, it didn't even return back to the ark because it was looking for dead issues and its feet landed or it found resting place on the floating corpses on top of the water. And so chewing on the dead issues never even made it back to the ark. And yet at the same time, Noah released the dove and the dove returned to the ark. Not only did the dove return to the ark, but the dove returned to the ark with an olive branch to extend peace, forgiveness, and reconciliation. To this day, we say, they extended an olive branch to me, or 
I want to walk into this not with a sword or a dagger. I really want to walk into this situation with an olive branch. Because I believe that if we can come together and walk into the situation with an olive branch, then certainly a fresh anointing can flow and there can be healing, forgiveness, and reconciliation. The dove had enough purity and the dove had enough innocence and the dove had enough wisdom to not land on certain issues that were in the landscape that would cause it to get disoriented and never make it back to the ark. And so, amazingly, both birds found what they were looking for. The raven found the garbage in the same environment that the dove found the olive branch and the oil flowing. You're going to find what you're looking for in any family, in any church, in any environment, in any job that you ever have. You're gonna, if you want dead issues, you can find dead issues. But if you want fresh oil, you can find fresh oil. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, there are always fleshly things in the church. But don't get your eyes on the fleshly things in the church. Get your eyes on the olive branch. Get your eyes on the fresh oil. And if you find yourself in a situation that looks like people are chewing on dead issues, don't chime in with the dead issues. Find some oil somewhere. Find an olive branch somewhere and bring that olive branch into your family. Bring that olive branch into your home. Bring that olive branch into the church and let fresh oil. God has seed in that olive branch and in that olive tree so that there's a reproduction generation after generation after generation can produce and reproduce this olive branch and certainly that's what every church needs is an olive branch that's full of potential and full of spirit and full of oil and full of the move of the spirit and the operation of the Holy Ghost. Even in spite of some dead issues that may float along and the carcasses that may float along the water of the landscape. One had an appetite for dead issues. And the more that it consumed the dead issues, the harder it was to make it back to the ark. I've been pastoring for almost 30 years now. Inevitably, when those that have not made it back and so, for some reason got bitter, for some reason got offended, for some reason just decided not to come back to church, inevitably it was the dead issues and the carcasses of the flesh that they started chewing on. And the more there was the chewing of these things, the harder it was to get back to the ark. We will find whatever we're looking for. One had an appetite for unity. One had an appetite for anointing. One had an appetite for the potential of a new world after the storm. Upon return, the dove brought a message to all who were in the ark. And I'm just kind of going to talk like a dove. Well, I mean, not really talk like a dove, but you know. <laughs> No, if, if we're going to do that, we need to get, who was it the other night? That was John Michael, John, and I think even Claire chimed in. You know, they, they cupped their hands and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's, that's a pitiful dove right there. But, but they can make that dove sound, cooing dove sound. Whoa, 
you know, so John Michael's over there. I mean, we, we, we can have 15 people, 20 people in the house, and we're all having a party, and all of a sudden, John Michael drifts off in his own world going, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like, dude, what are you doing? And then all of a sudden, John Ellis, he pipes in the other night. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. So then they start competing, and all of a sudden, I heard this, this third dove in the living room. I look over, and it's Claire. <laughs> And she won. Oh, she, yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> so I'm not going to coo, but let me just use my imagination. This dove brought this olive branch back to the ark. It's almost like that dove was saying, I know it can get cramped and claustrophobic in here. I know that when the window is closed, which, by the way, the ark only had one window, and it said when Noah opened the window, so that meant oftentimes the window was closed. Everybody said, that's a bad place to have to try to sleep. I know that when the window is closed, it can get very smelly in here, but it's way better in here than it is out there. All of the dead issues and the corpses and the smell and everything else, I would rather be in the ark knowing that I'm saved than outside of the ark being lost in the storm. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. There's no perfect saint of God. There's no perfect pastor. There's no perfect church leader. There's no perfect church. We all have issues we're having to get through. Get to the house of God and don't isolate yourself because you think somebody's got an issue. Bring your issue to the house of God and let's pray through the issues and have church and let God's anointing flow into the house of God. Can you clap your hands and give him praise? It's better in here than it is out there. And despite the storm and despite the smell, let the oil flow in the church because our best days are ahead of us. The storm doesn't have the last answer. A brand new world was created out of a dove, a man that had a vision, and an olive branch. Don't tell me good things can't come out of a bad situation. God is on your side. God is on the side of the church. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Can we clap our hands to the Lord? Can we clap our hands to the Lord? Let's give him praise together. The people in the Corinthian church were much more like the raven and needed instruction in the form of correction and edification. Imagine the job post for just a minute. Imagine you're on, what is it, Indeed. Imagine you're on Monster and there's a job post. And the job post says, the title says, Need of a Pastor, Church Open. And then you scroll down and you click to find out what the job description is. And you get a little bit of insight into what you might be stepping into if you take this church. Let me read to you what was going on here in the form of raven nature. And this is only an analysis of 1 Corinthians, not even 2 Corinthians. Carnality, division, envy, jealousy, 
and preacher-leader religion, according to 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 3. Gross perversion in immorality. So if you're a new pastor and you want to come to the church in Corinth and pastor Corinth, just know that you're going to have, part of the job description is how are you going to handle carnality, division, envy, jealousy, preacher and leader religion. Some are going to say, when you start preaching, some are going to say to you, well, I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos. Well, I'd rather Paul preach. Well, I'd rather Apollos preach. Well, you know, if you baptize me, I don't want to be baptized by you. The only way that I'll feel good about being baptized is if Apollos baptizes me. And, you know, after you have to deal with that a little bit, there's going to be some gross perversion and some immorality if you go to Corinth. Taking, um, in fact, so much so that some of them are even taking one another to court. Instead of settling disputes through biblical guidance, according to chapters 5 and 6 of 1 Corinthians. And if that were not enough, there's a lot of confusion going on whether to stay single or married. And the confused views on divorce and remarriage are sure to keep you up all night long. But come on and be the pastor. And by the way, these divorce and remarriage issues and all of the entanglement on all of that, it's really impacting the local church in Corinth. But we would love for you to come and be the pastor. And if that's not enough, man, you know, we've really been after multicultural revival. But, you know, once we got the Jews and Gentiles both inside the church, there were so many cultural differences over food. Over food being offered to idols. And how to unite when there was this confusion and conflict over a piece of meat and how that was offered and prayed over. And then how to protect each other's conscience over things that were not sinful, but they could become sinful if there was an intentional violation of one's conscience by another saint in the church. That's chapters 8 through 10. If that were not enough for this young pastor... <laughs> Major worship disorders were going on in the Corinthian church and there was confusion on gender roles and gender distinction. And that led to submission issues and headship issues that led to heart issues and then hair issues. And so there were grappling over long uncut hair versus being able to trim the hair versus if you cut it at all, then you need to shave it off. And, and a lot of guys, you know, it was a cultural faddish thing. And so all the guys wanted to have long hair. And so, but it wasn't really a hair issue. It was a heart issue. Well, you know, I really need to deal with that. But man, it's just having to deal with this Jew and Gentile and that crazy piece of baloney that they're fighting over. Just throw them a can of Spam and tell them it's going to be okay. No, it's not because I want my Spam fried. And when it fries, the, the ends of it curl up. Well, then just take a cast iron skillet and put it on top of that Spam and just level it out. I don't know what to do about the Spam and the bologna. That's raven talk. It's finding something to chew on.
they were turning communion into sinful parties and they were getting drunk and intoxicated and so they started fighting about, well, is social drinking okay? No wonder the church was open. <laughs> Indeed couldn't even find people to come pastor the church. There were major abuses of spiritual gifts going on. And there was a strong overemphasis on gifts while there was an underemphasis on unconditional love. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 through 13. Then there was doctrinal confusion and theological error regarding the resurrection of the physical body and what the physical body would be like in eternity, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Finally, Last but certainly not least, failure to support the church with tithes and offerings and not consistently giving on a scheduled basis, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. That's just 1 Corinthians. I won't even touch 2 Corinthians. We read from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. That was just 1 Corinthians dealing with those things on a daily basis. No wonder Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves. Is the fight over baloney and spam really worth it? Paul was dealing with the nature of the raven in the church, and so he said, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith and prove yourself that there's no question regarding your nature. Examine, see, improve. Examine, analyze, and study what I'm saying to you, and then see, or by observation, apply it to yourself, and then prove or demonstrate that you're saved by virtue of how you interact with people and how you're interacting with the world and make sure that you're demonstrating, proving to yourself, to the Lord and to others, man, I got the Holy Ghost. It's like, I really got the Holy Listen, we're real good at the gifts of the Spirit, but sometimes we're terrible at the fruit of the Spirit. And if we had to choose, I would much rather be a church full of the fruit of the Spirit and lacking in the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. Amen. I don't really care how much you're going to prophesy and talk in tongues if you can't stop long enough to speak redemptively to somebody in the church. If unconditional love and speaking redemptively and valuing one another in the body of Christ cannot be done, do not talk in tongues around me. Because you are showing an appearance of being saved, but you're not proving or demonstrating that you're really saved. And so please examine yourself to even see if you're in the faith. This is what he was saying. It was a heaven or hell issue. It's people that were going to church, but they were going to hell while they were going to church. So who does he say to examine? Examine whom? Yourselves. He didn't say, be that church analyst and that church skeptic that analyzes and assesses and examines everybody else in the church. And if we throw one person's name out, you can write a book on what's wrong with them. That's not what he said. 
He said, examine yourself and write a book about yourself first. And whenever you stop writing, then you can get up and look at everybody else. The problem is we've got so many issues in our own selves, we'll never stop writing because we're living in this flesh. And ladies and gentlemen, we need to get this flesh under control. We need to make sure that there's nothing hanging out there that the ravens can get a hold of and chew on. Can I get some help in this place right now? Come on, Calvary Pentecostal Church. Things are going too good. Sundays are too good. Visitors are coming in by the droves. Please be in perfection. Come up to spiritual maturity. Put away the baloney arguments. Put away the spam talking. Get over it. Get the Holy Ghost and pray through to the victory. Can we give God some praise in this house? God, we give you praise right now. You're not going to go to heaven if you can't get along with your brother and sister in this church. If you walk by them and you have to look the other way because you have aught in your heart and you're bitter, you are on your way to hell. You're lost. If you're skipping church, because you've got an issue with an individual. That individual is an idol in your life and you need to go to them immediately and reconcile. Because the longer you stay away, and if anybody's listening online, please listen to your pastor right now. The longer you stay away, and the more you stay away and chew on dead issues, the harder it's going to be for you to get back to the ark. Better to stay in the ark even though you're dealing with some issues that are driving you crazy. It won't always be that way. God will work it out. And if you'll let God change you, he might change the whole situation. Or he'll change your attitude and your perspective in the situation. He said, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. No, you're not your own selves. How that Jesus Christ is in you. Except, this is what he says, except you be reprobates. So the potential for some people in the Corinthian church to be reprobate was there. He was saying, look. What he was saying is, in another place, I have espoused you to Christ. I planted the church. That's what he was saying. And what he was saying is, look, the power of Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. So apparently there were some people in the church that had drifted to the place of, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but, but so that you'll know the working knowledge behind it, the term reprobate meant a counterfeit by virtue of failing the test. They were disqualified because they failed the test, and so they were proven to be counterfeit Christians. This is what he's talking about. And the reason that he said they were counterfeit and that they were disqualified is because they couldn't get along with their brothers and sisters in the church. Man, they were powerful at talking in tongues. Boy, they, they were really good at prophesying. But to stop and just get along with someone, their behaviors were not matching the incidents that were happening. 
and they were majorly, they were super explosive over little issues. And I'm really getting ahead of myself now. But the way that God will, will prove you and test all of us so that we can examine is he will first start in your family and then he will go to your church family. He will see how you conduct yourself in your family. If you cannot forgive and reconcile within the family and you have bitterness and poison inside of you, then you take that and you bring it into the church family. And it may be that you're really acting out on one of your family members who aren't even here, but it may be someone you're working with in one of the ministries. And all of a sudden they catch your fire. They catch your explosion. It's like, where in the world did that come from? That doesn't even match the situation right here. And it's because you're bringing dysfunction from your home life into the church life. And you're proving yourself to be disqualified you working with me and what Paul is saying is look that's not the way any of us started out in this let's go back to getting the power of Christ inside of us let's have a move of the Holy Ghost that can flush all of the dead issues out and get rid of all of the issues and before you try to fix things in the church, go to your own house and get reconciled with your wife, your husband, your children, and get the home life reconciled and fixed. And I promise you, when you come to church, the person that's getting on your nerves won't even get on your nerves anymore because you took care of things in your home. The issue's not the church. The issue is you and your home. And you're bringing it into the church. And you're proving to be counterfeit. I know I'm pastoring hard right now. I, I recognize that. Perhaps Paul's echoing the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 25. For with what judgment you judge... You will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But you do not consider the plank that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, hey, let's get, let me remove that little speck in your eye. And all of the while, a plank is protruding out of your own eye. What he was saying here is, look, before you judge and before you try to find issues, you've got a two-by-four swinging around everywhere you go. You turn to try to examine somebody in the church, whack, pop them in the head with that plank sticking out of your eye. I'm sitting, you're sitting there trying to get a, you know, magnifying, let me, let me get that little bitty, let me get that little bitty speck of dust out of your eye. Pow, 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 hit him with the two by four five times. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. He said, be careful, be careful, because if you measure that way, it's coming back to you. Some of us need to examine ourselves and say, am I going through a trial in my life right now? Are a lot of people attacking me right now? Could it be if a lot of people are attacking you right now because you've attacked a lot of people in your life and you've tried to pull the dust out of their eye, but you do, you got a plank in your own eye. 
And so all of a sudden, man, you're under severe attack. You go through a severe attack at work. You go through severe attack in the family. You go through severe attack in the church. And all of a sudden you think, well, my God, man, my job's wrong. My family's wrong. The church is wrong. Wait a minute. Time out. If everything is that wrong, it might not be all those are wrong. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. No doubt many of the problems in the church at Corinth were caused by people whose salvation was in question due to their behavior. And Paul said, examine yourself against the truth. Okay, so this is key. Examine yourself against the truth. Look, look at verse 7 and 8. First, uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 13, 7 and 8. Now I pray to God that you do no evil. Look what he said. I pray to God that you do no evil. Not that we should what? appear appear approved if we've ever been in a day and age of image and appearing to be something that we're not i mean it's we can take a picture a certain way and post it on social media and make it look like we've got a thousand in the church well that is not true and we're not trying to appear to be something we are not. Let's be honest, ladies and gentlemen. Can I get some help in this place? God knows all that stuff. Come on. I mean, if you want me to, now don't get mad, but if you want me to, I can even get somebody that can Photoshop my head and put some hair on this head and then put that out there and say, man, look at that. Look at that dude. He's good looking. What happened to pastor? I'll tell you what happened to pastor. Somebody Photoshopped that joker. He's not all that. <laughs> he's like, no, he's just at home eating a spam sandwich. <laughs> he said, now nah, I pray, I pray. This is, he said, man, I've been in prayer for you is what he's saying. I've been praying that you wouldn't do anything evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that we would do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. In other words, even some people were saying, you're counterfeit, you're counterfeit, you're counterfeit. You've been disqualified because of your behavior. He said, look, if you want to dispel that, don't go into verbal fighting with them. Just live for God. Just live for God and do what's right and be honest and stay away from evil every day of your life. You don't have to go into fighting with them. Just silence them with your behavior. Silence them with your life. You don't have to, you don't have to come over here and pick a fight with them and start going after it and say, you know what? I'm going to leave that in the hands of God, but I'm going to be at church on Wednesday. I'm going to be at church on Sunday. I'm going to show up for prayer meeting. I'm going to get my hands high in the air. I'm going to worship God. They're not going to, they're not going to find one thing on me. I'm, an, I'm not going to get involved in evil. I'm not going to get involved in the world. I'm not going to get involved in slander. I'm not going to get involved in gossip. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to be a volcano. I'm not going to be a crock pot with simmering anger. I'm not going to let any of that get a hold of me. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live for God. When you come here on Sunday, you're going to see me in the house of God. When you come back on Wednesday, you're going to see this man in the house of God. You say, do you ever go through storms? Yeah, but I'm not letting the storm steal my victory. I made up my mind. I'm going to have the nature of a dove. I, I'm not going to find a resting place on those dead issues. That's what the Bible said. The dove found no resting place to land on. He saw it, but he said, I'm not landing there. you got to make up your mind. You're going to see things that you don't like. Don't land there. Keep on flying. Go higher. 
Get the olive branch and bring oil to the situation and let healing flow. Oh, can we clap our hands and give him praise? Examine, prove. He said, for we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. There were people in the Corinthian church that were into appearance more than they were honest and integrity. And they were covering up evil by putting on a good show. So then we must ask the question, well, what was the show? If they, if they were able to fake everybody out, if they were in the church putting on a good show and there were no appearance of doing what was right, but there was evil behind it, what was the show that deceived everybody? They were great at speaking in tongues. But they were terrible in speaking in love and redemptive communication that valued and honored the family of God. Everybody saw their demonstration and show publicly in worship and they're speaking in tongues and they're shouting and run. And man, everybody's going, they must be, they must live in the third heaven and eat angels food. There was the appearance but behind closed doors, they couldn't even speak a word out of their mouth that would provide value to another person. See, it's how you speak and what you feed on and chew on in private, it grows and won't stay private. You'll demonstrate that publicly and you'll get the reputation of always having a problem with somebody else and everybody will know. And oftentimes, people will try to get super spiritual and be used in the gifts and a lot of talking in tongues to hide behind. And so they'll put on a public show, an appearance to be something that they're really not. And Paul said, hey, do something for me. So when you go home and you pray, examine yourself. Take a deep look on the inside. So if you're into playing the game, trying to put on a big show, you're only deceiving yourself. You're not fooling anybody but yourself. And you'll chew so much on dead issues that it'll be hard for you to come back to church because you've taken up issue with just about everything in the church. It's church life. It's church life. They were the poster church for the gifts of the Spirit. But they severely lacked forgiveness and reconciliation. And this is where God will use your home first and the church second to prove you. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, let's look at verse 9 through 11. <clears throat> for to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you. There's that word again that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in what? In all things. Well, what, were, what was the all things? So here's the all things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we learn about the issue of fornication in the church. And we learn it was a very perverted, very gross thing. And so, but you read the Bible, and if you read the Bible on a daily basis, you're going to run across passages, and you're going to go, what in the world? That was sick. How could a church, how could somebody in a church do something like that? Well, there was a man who was committing fornication with his mother-in-law. This is what was going on in the Corinthian church. It was a perverted, sick thing. 
And so, and so what does Paul do? Man, the church, all the church knows. Now, whether they dealt with the public or not, who knows? But all the church knew the immorality that was going on. Okay, it's just church life. People know. You go to a church, your family, you know. And so everybody's looking at the pastor. Everybody's looking at Paul saying, Paul, what do we do here? He said, okay, here's what we're going to do. This guy's unrepentant. And so what we're going to do, now we would, we, we would freak out if we pastored like Paul pastored. If Paul had to write a letter to America right now, it wouldn't be pretty. <laughs> Here's what Paul said. He said, oh, you know what? I've dealt with these things before. We're going to do this little, we're gonna, I got this little model, this little model of conflict resolution that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to integrate. Learned it when I was going through my education. And uh, yeah, it's really good in this cool little textbook that I had to read. And uh, it's a really cool little deal here. It's, you know what we'll do? We're going to turn him over to the devil. For the destruction of his flesh. So then in the end his soul would be saved. What? You're going to do what? I know what he did was bad. But you just. Did I hear you right Paul? You mean you're going to take that guy. And turn him over to Satan. For the destruction of his flesh. So that in the end he would be saved. Yeah man great conflict resolution model. It works all the time. Was Paul this lack of compassion, mean individual? No. He knew that the man couldn't deal with the confrontation that was coming from everybody else. Look, you don't commit some kind of sin like that without the family knowing something going on. The family feels, even if you don't know for sure, you feel stuff going on in a family system. You know. Look, all you got to do, all you have to do is you just ask one of the ladies in that family. Because ladies have an intuition. And they have a, a look, now here's the deal. You want to go some places in the Holy Ghost, you get a woman who is a praying woman. Because without praying, a woman has this intuition that she feels stuff. She's the glue in that family. And she feels stuff going on. You know what I'm talking about. JT, don't look at me like that. You know when your mama walks in there and says, no, JT, I just feel something. Well, mom, what do you mean you feel something? I don't know what you mean by feel. Guys don't understand that feely stuff. <laughs> it's like, no, dude, you better listen. When mom walks in and says that kind of stuff, even if she hadn't been praying, God, I don't know, she has some kind of connection with God, and she feels stuff, and dad's over there going... And, you know, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and she hits you in the ribs, and you go, and you roll over, and then she pop, 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 taps you on the back, said, honey, wake up. I can't sleep. Something's going on in our family. Bubba, you better pipe up right then. The Holy Ghost is talking to her. The Holy Ghost is talking to her. You can't tell me that immorality doesn't happen in a family and a mama doesn't know what's going on. That mama is in tune. And if she's praying in the Holy Ghost, she's going to chase that devil out of there. I promise you there's going to be some spiritual warfare in that mom. Come on, moms. Mama's day is coming. But just a precursor to Mother's Day, thank you, moms, for being in tune. Thank you, moms, for being connected. Even when husband says, babe, I think you lost it. Even when the kids are saying, I don't think you're right. Mama says, I don't care what any of you think. I know what's going on inside of me right now. And I know that this is from God. We need to thank God for godly moms who are in tune. 
Listen. And so, whatever lady was operating in that family system, whatever spiritually minded church members were operating in that system going, man, you know what? They, there's something wrong with brother so-and-so. He just doesn't act like he used to. Well, no wonder. Dude's sleeping with his mother-in-law. Is that too plain? You know good and well that kind of stuff goes on in our world today. And listen to me. A pastor that won't take a stand against that stuff. And a church that's not. So that's why he said, I wish you would come to perfection. Perfection was not about you not ever committing sin. It was about a spiritually mature, healthy church that has the white blood cells or the antibody that says, no, there's a spiritual immune system inside of us that says, you are not coming into this church with that kind of sin. We don't need it just from the pulpit. They say, well, pastor will protect. Look, we need the pew. We need the saints of God to say, man, there's something going on and we're going to pray this out. There's something going on and we're going to pray this out. We're not a raven church. We're a dove church. We're not trying to land on dead issues. We want holy, pure, innocent issues to dictate and govern our lives. And we need to all examine, prove, and come to perfection. So that when we arrive at perfection, spiritual maturity, we don't even get involved in the conversations with them. Look, look, you need to listen to me for conscience sake. Okay, so it's not the baloney or the spam, but it's the conversation you've been having with somebody. Maybe you, conscience-wise, can have those conversations and run things down in the church. And still come to church and it not really phase you too much. Although it does, you've just been doing it so long you don't know that it does. But perhaps you get a new convert or someone who's weak in the faith. And they've already got issues in their family. And now they go, what? You mean I've got all these issues in my family and now you're telling me these same issues are in the church? And all of a sudden you keep coming but they don't come. And you were the fault of that. You were the fault of that. Some of you are having conversations. I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost. And you need to listen to this man of God right now. Some of you are having conversations with people. You're bringing spirits. You think it's just you. You think it's just your flesh. You're opening up doors to spiritual strongholds. And while you feel good after you have your distorted therapy and letting out on everybody, they're starting to grow bitter. And you speak in that stuff privately. It doesn't stay private. And all of a sudden it's, it's, it's emerging and bubbling up. Examine yourself to see if you're even in the faith. Are you even saved? Because if you were saved, you wouldn't be doing that. You're working with me. You're working with me. He said, forgive that man. Turn him over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh, of his flesh. But in 2 Corinthians said, forgive him. Didn't necessarily mean let it all come back into the church. Listen to me. And pastors get put in a very tough situation when there's a lot of immorality and a lot of junk that goes on. And it comes public and all of a sudden you've got to make decisions. And you don't have the luxury of getting up and tell you why you made all the detailed decisions you made. But you just have to call a shot and go with it. 
based on the scripture. And this is what he said. Forgive this man. Watch this. This is powerful. Forgiveness is not for the other person's punishment. It's for your protection. That I know what he did is bad. And I know that it impacted the local church. But he said, the way that I'll know proof of you is if you forgive. Verse 10, to whom you forgive anything, I'm, I'm going to forgive with you. We're going to do this thing together. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes, so that you could get beyond the issue, I forgave it, how? How? Not in the person of the, not in the immoral man, not in that woman that did that with her son-in-law. I didn't forgive based on looking at them. I forgave according to looking at the person of Jesus Christ and the atoning work that he did on the cross. Ladies and gentlemen, humanly and horizontally, we will never be able to get beyond the pain. But if we can go to the person of Jesus, if we can go to the person of Jesus and we forgive them in the stead of Christ Jesus, or we go to the person on the cross, the Christ on the cross, and we forgive by virtue of the power of the blood, and let the blood work. Let the blood cleanse. And let the blood heal. I'm not talking about going back to the old normal where it's revived every service. Or every Christmas. Or every birthday. Or every wedding. Or every baby dedication. Or every major event. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about being free and reconciling the differences to the extent that you can arrive at spiritual maturity. You're with me. So here's the kicker. The Corinthians... They were so absorbed, Bren, man. They were so absorbed with the dead issues. They forgot the principle of the empty chair. Liam, oh, that's okay. That's okay. I got one right here. principle of the empty chair. What's the principle of the empty chair? How does it relate to the Corinthians? According to David Livermore in his book, Driven by Difference, and he's also written a really good book on cultural intelligence and understanding different cultures and understanding cultural biases and all of those types of things so that we can produce harmony with one another. Really good author. Secular book, but it's, but it's very good. He said, and I quote, Jeff Bezos, founder and former CEO of Amazon, frequently left one open seat at the company's most important meetings. It was there to remind executives and managers of the most important person in the room, the customer. The customer. When Amazon's moving fast, 
don't ever start moving so fast and get so big that you lose the principle of the empty chair. The reason we're here is the customer. And if I could say it this way for the church, the principle of the empty chair is the most important person in the church is the unsaved guest. This is not about the pastor. This is not about the pew. This is about those that need the power of the Holy Ghost. And we do not need to forget the power of the empty chair. The reason you and I are together and God put us together is because there are people that are lost, they're addicted, they're broken, they're undone, and they represent the empty chair. And you and I need to get over our baloney pettiness and our spam pettiness because we've got souls to reach. It's the principle of the empty chair. Ladies and gentlemen, no matter how anointed you think you are, no matter how much you think you know the sound, no matter how much you think you know the audiovisual lighting, no matter how much you think you know doctrine, I don't care. It matters more about the empty chair. It's not about how good I can preach. It's God of heaven have I ministered to that lost soul that needs the power of the Holy Ghost. The Corinthian church couldn't even think about the lost souls because they were so involved in their own pettiness. Can I get some help in this house right now? Come on, ladies and gentlemen. We're not that important. We're not that big. Our issues are not that major. It's the empty chair that matters. And if Jeff Bezos and Amazon had that much sense, If he had that much courage as the, the founder and the former CEO to walk in to executives and senior executives and managers and come and knowing, no doubt knowing there were politics involved, money involved, positions involved, jockeying involved, ulterior motives involved, you know, typical meeting at work. And they all come in and they wonder, what in the world is that empty chair doing? And that founder never lost sight of why he even started Amazon. If that's true in a secular sense, do you think for one minute that the founder of the church has lost focus on the purpose of the empty chair? Can you imagine Jesus walking in and seeing all the petty arguments and going, guys, would you please grow up and get over it? I've got an empty chair. I've got an empty pew in this church. And I don't want any empty chairs. It's not about your issues. It's about the souls that we need to teach Bible studies to. It's about Pentecost Sunday coming. It's about 60 people, brand new visitors coming to the house of God so that we can reach them and they can be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's the principle of the empty chair. Can we worship him together? Let's refocus Calvary. We are better together when we focus on what we're supposed to be focused on. I think we all need to remind ourselves before there was ever a sound system, there was a church. Before there were ever lights, there was a church. Before there was ever decor, there was a church. Before there was ever multimedia, there was a church. Before there were ever instruments, there was a church. Before there were ever... 
what do we call it? Liner? Linear? Liner ring. Before that was there, there was a church. We better be careful, folks, that we don't become production driven to the extent that we forget about the empty chair. And we have such personal issues over things that really don't matter when you start looking at the empty chair. Well, so I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But what that means is, as after I have, after I've labored over a sermon, you say, well, how long does that take? Well, all of the preachers know here, probably takes at least six hours to at least get the rough draft together. Then you pray over it. And as you're praying, you're thinking about the church. You're trying to listen vertically and be sensitive horizontally at the same time in your preparation, your sermon preparation. It's not about book knowledge. It's about, God, how do I communicate to the body? Am I really hearing from you? And help me to put that here so I can get it out there. And that's where prayer comes in. I would argue strongly, don't ever get into the pulpit if you have not prayed. Don't ever teach class if you have not prayed first. Because it will be just information that has no conviction. And you pray over it. Ask Ron. Ron texts me every Saturday and every Wednesday. What are you teaching tonight? He probably gets tired asking that question because he puts the slides together. I told him, I said, tonight, I said, Wednesday, I said, I'm going to teach on altar working because we're having so many visitors and some, we had some experiences this past Sunday at the altar that many of you probably have questions about. And so I thought, well, you know what? I'll just bring some clarification on altar working. I'll get some instruction. We'll, you know, we'll work together so that we know how to pray people through on Pentecost Sunday and different things. And, and, and so I was going to talk on, and I got to studying. And I had to text him back. I said, Ron, I'm so sorry. There's been a redirection in the Holy Ghost. And I feel like I'm supposed to teach about the principle of the empty chair. Listen to me. What that means is when souls, because if it's all about the empty chair, and they're here, and they come to this, this birthing room, this is the labor and the delivery room right here. We either abort it, or we bring somebody into brand new life. If I'm trying to pray with someone and talk to them and talk them in, working through repentance and explaining what they're feeling when they're shaking like this and it's the power of the Holy Ghost and it's okay not to be afraid of that because that can scare them and they can shut down before they get the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. And so there's got to be this open communication. If this thing is thumping so loud and that thing is blaring so loud that I have to holler and I have to get in their ear and I feel like I'm offending them because it's way too loud. I cannot even bring the person in the empty chair in through the delivery room. So if I have to go back to the sound room and say to you, turn it down, that means turn it down. You working with me? Not because I'm trying to harp on something, but because I'm focused on the empty chair. And I didn't do all the sermon preparation and all the praying and everything else for because somebody's got a personal preference on how loud they want it. I'm being a pastor now. You can work with me. So that now I abhorred my whole study preparation time because I can't even communicate to them at the altar. 
You with me? Look, I know that old saying, if it's too loud, you're too old. <laughs> you remember when we were in our 20s? Dude, man, if it's too loud, you're too old. I get all that. I like cutting edge, first class, without compromise stuff in the church. I think we need to be at our best. I think it needs to sound the greatest. I think, I think, the, I think everything should be cutting edge sharp. I think we need to constantly be evaluating and saying, how can we make improvements? Let's make some improvements. Let's do something different, as long as we're not compromising. But when it impedes the principle of the empty chair, don't get bent out of shape when we have to correct that and isolate. I, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you as a pastor. I'm going to break it down here. We're not focused on the empty chair. The church is not about the preacher in the pulpit having the greatest thought and church members bragging on his preaching. It's about the preacher hearing from God and speaking a timely message, timely words that leads people to salvation and helps the church stay saved. It's not about one ministry outdoing another ministry. It's about all ministries being better together so that souls can be saved in the kingdom of God. It's not about one musician, one praise singer outdoing another musician or another praise singer. It's about how everyone can be better together to sing, to play, and to minister in such a way that the anointed worship brings conviction, opens the heart, and prepares souls to hear the word of God so that they can then be born again. It's not about the AVL. If you don't know what AVL is, Audio, visual, and lighting. It's not about the AVL getting compliments online and going online to compare on what church looks the best and what church sounds the best and all the conversations dominated about who's the best. We've, we've shifted somewhere, folks, if that's what the conversation's about. It's how many people got saved how many people got the Holy Ghost? How many people were baptized? I want it to look good online. We've invested more money sounding better. Look, here's something that we all need to learn. AVL ministry, there's a, there's a bottomless pit there. You can spend all the money and all of a sudden by the time you wrote the check, something brand new came out and you got to go write another check. At some point, you just got to say, man, it's pretty nice around here. It's not about the AVL to get compliments online, go back to see and compare. Let's make it look first class. Let's seek constant improvements. Let's sound first class. Let's be cutting edge without compromise. But let's never forget about the empty chair and why we're here in the first place. So I'm going to close with this. Brother and Sister Shannon are doing an incredible job in Take Root. That guy named Carl McLaughlin, he does decent with Calvary integration, but he doesn't feel real comfortable there. But he's doing okay. He needs a little coaching, he needs a little bit of help. But you know what we're telling him? You know what we're telling him, Brother Steve? You know what Take Root's telling him? Be here every Wednesday and be here every Sunday so you can stay saved. 
You know what Calvary integration tells people of the church culture of Calvary is? If you want to be used in leadership, be here Wednesday, be here Sunday. If you have young people, don't let extracurricular activities get in the way of Friday night youth services. It's just, so so here's, what, here's what you need to know. There are people that have been involved in certain roles that only come to church when they're involved. And they're not coming when they're not involved. People see this. So what you need to know is going forward, some people, so, so this tonight is kind of like saying, hey, you know what? You know you've been doing that, so here's the deal. Probably best to step out of that role and go teach five Bible studies. And the reason for the five Bible studies is because we can get so nitpicky about things that if it's not done our way, hit the highway. And we've lost sight of the empty chair. And you go teach five Bible studies and you see how messed up this world is and how broken they are and how confused they are and how addicted they are and how in pain they are and how many mental disorders are out there and mental health issues and they're suicidal and all of a sudden all of our things that seem so important are not so important and we say you know what I need to go back to the principle of the empty chair I need to go teach a Bible study if you get disgruntled and you get upset don't isolate and backslide go teach five Bible studies get acquainted with lost souls and say thank God for Calvary and thank God for the church You'll appreciate every church preaching the truth if you just go out and reach souls and reach the lost and you'll get beyond your own issues. You need to examine yourself. So real quick, stand with me. If you have that slide, I'll I'll just share this with you real quick. Here's the values of CPC. This is what holds us together. And when these are violated, if somebody, you know, so here's what Paul said. He said, man, look, I can use the sharpness of apostolic power, but if I use the sharpness of the pastoral role, I'm doing it for edification, not destruction. So what he was saying is, at the end of the day, if I have to, if I have to be a pastor, allow me to do this to the extent that let's come together and edify and unify and let's be better together. But if we remain laissez-faire and just let things go and don't hold one another accountable, five years from now, this will be a completely different church. You need to listen to me. I can promise you, for me, for leaders in this church, it would be much easier to never say anything, just go, How, how many ways can you chew on baloney? Don't even want to talk about it anymore. But if you take that approach, after a little while, this church, you need to hear me, this church will look totally different. That's why we have values. When the values get violated, then correction for the purpose of edification occurs to keep church health going not fun to enforce easy to write a powerpoint very hard to enforce the powerpoint it's not fun people don't like this kind of stuff 
biblical truth and apostolic identity. In short, it's three tiers. Doctrine, ethics, relationship. Can't just be the oneness of God. Has to be ethics. How do I behave ethically with people in the church? And then relationships. Am I speaking redemptively? Second, faithfulness. You know that as a pastor, I love people being involved. But it takes faithfulness. If you cannot be faithful to church, you're going to hear from the leaders, okay, because things are starting to come back to me. And, and there will be some corrective measures taken. You just need to know that that's coming if you can't be faithful. Get here Wednesday and get here Sunday. Servant leadership. The church is not here to serve me. I'm here to serve the church. It's being swallowed up by the will of God so that I can serve the body of Christ so that the church is edified and holiness is exalted. Redemptive communication. This is what I mean by 360 degree communication. Everyone communicates well to the pastor. It's communicating up. Some people do okay laterally. Many people do terrible if they think they're talking to somebody that's below them. And by the way, nobody's below us. No title, no position, no, uh, nobody is below us. So if that's even in your mind, you're already starting off wrong. Oh, pastor, absolutely. What are you talking about? Get over there and do that right now. problem is that the person on the receiving end of that, while they might want to hit you in the nose, they go pray through until it reaches a level that they can't take anymore and either they're going to walk out of the church or they come knocking on my door. Pastor, this is going on. I need you to address this. What that means is we communicate in a very healthy way to those that we may feel like can never do one thing for us. That's a lie. That's, that's worldly thinking, but you know what I'm saying. Excellence. You show up for rehearsal. You show up for prayer. When we have prayer, are we praying or are we talking? Because remember... If we're teaching take root, come early for prayer, and they do that in take root. Like they're already, they're already demonstrating that in take root. They're asking the take root members to come in and pray early. They're already modeling this. And then all of a sudden, the empty chair, the guest comes in and looks around and observes the church and says, wait a minute, the chandler's taught me this, but what's this church doing? This is what we're talking about excellence. You with me? Leadership development. And you see the rest. Unity, creativity, adaptability, and love. These are the values. So, so you already have looked around to see who's here and who's not here tonight. I get it. I see how this, I know how this stuff works. I've been here for a long time. What'd I do with that, Noah? Oh, 
So I hope those that aren't here tonight are watching online. If you're a leader in the church, you got people working on your team, you probably need to text them, say you need to go back and listen to that message. Examine yourself. See if you're in the faith. Prove yourself. Don't be into showing an appearance. Avoid evil. Be honest. Be full of integrity. Work in harmony. Why? The church would not even be here if it wasn't for this. The whole reason Pentecost happened was for this. The whole reason you and I are here is because the most important person in the church is the unsaved guest. Can we pray together right now? Thank you so much for listening. In unity and love, we are better together. If you would like to stay connected with the church, the podcast, and upcoming events, you can visit us at calvaryulis.org or on social media 